another episode of 12 million. I am Darren Jenkins. I am Akbar Majeed. And on today's show, we are fortunate to be joined by six-time Olympian, the first African Asian American Olympic saber fencing champion, and the founder of the Peter Westbrook Foundation, Peter Westbrook. Peter, thank you for coming on the show with us today. My brother Darren, my brother Akbar, first of all, thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Whenever I have a chance to be around good brothers trying to make a difference, brothers trying to uplift other brothers, always count me in brother Akbar and brother Darren. Well, I love that. And, you know, me and you actually have a lot in common. We're both from North New Jersey. Um, and then I learned that you went to Essex Catholic. My brother actually was at the same at the school at the same time you were probably. Um, I think he was he was running track at the time. Oh, and um, I was at, I was at St. Benedict's. So. Right. Oh wow! I got I know you're asking me questions, but I got to ask you a question. <laughs> uh, you know, most of the people that I grew up with in Newark, New Jersey, I live in that housing projects. Yep. Uh, Hayes home. So most of the people that I grew up with, hundreds, thousands of kids didn't make it. Um, yeah. I know because, you know, I'm one of the kids. And uh, from either drugs, from crime, from, yep. from violence, from you name it. And occasionally somebody will call me up. Uh, most, they, most, of, most of them, they always call me up, the one that's around to let me know what's going on. Mm. And, and I remember one brother just called me up. Uh, and he said, yeah, PB's uh L somebody. I said, who's this? He says, Ducey. I said, oh, Ducey from the projects? Yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, man. I was in jail for like 15, 17 years, but I wow. finally, I would tell him this, brother, that's okay. As long as you got it, it's a long message to learn, but you got it. I'm proud of you. So my question I'm asking you is this, brother Darren. Yep. Everybody that I know, 98, 97% of the people didn't make it. So you grew up where in Europe? I grew up, uh, so mostly I was spent my time in the South Ward over by Week Wake. Okay, okay. And, um, you know, I was just kind of fortunate for a lot of reasons that my grandmother was a community activist and she had that, she had a, I'd say a good 20 square block radius on lockdowns. So she, no one, no one, you know, she kept things clean. She did a school a trip to museums and, and water parks and things for kids. She tried to keep the kids off the streets by giving them other alternatives and to do things. So, and I was very much involved with her, even at an early age, helping her kind of run that kind of, uh, those kind of programs, school lunches, the whole bit. And then of course, my family, my, my mom was a teacher. My father was a teacher. My uncles were teachers. My best friends, parents were teachers. So, you know, there was no slacking whatsoever. We, we, we did not have an, an easy time, but I, I'm just like you. I, you know, a lot of, a lot of my friends didn't make it out of Newark. They, they didn't make it out of Newark. Um, I, yeah. I see still that you had a lot of wonderful, a good support base, a good support system, a good support mother, father, community. That was good. That's what it takes. Yep. Uh, I didn't really have that. Uh, we didn't really have that in those projects. It's almost like you're living, I, I don't mean to say it in a negative way, but you're living somewhere on a reservation. They got you guys in the back in the dark, thousands of kids, nobody else. You don't even see 
I was telling people, some of the kids now in our foundation, we'll talk about that in a minute, Peter Westbrook Foundation, but when I'm in Harlem in New York, you sort of say, well, you still see a lot of successful business people. You see a lot of doctors. You see a lot of just people, lawyers walking around on the subway when you see them. In Newark, in the back, in the dark, in the bright, you don't see anything. Sometimes it's hard in the projects, in the back of the projects, it's hard to be successful unless you see what success is about. It's hard to achieve greatness if you don't even understand and know what greatness is about. So I'm just saying, thank God you got a great grandmother and mother and father that was able to show you what success looks like. That's why you got this nice, wonderful program called 12 Million, because all the things that they put brother, yes. you know, it come out of the sky or you you got some good seeds planted in you. Yeah, and yeah. you're right. I think there's, um, you know, my best friend who uh, did ended up going to like when I left for college, he he ended up going to prison. And he was, I didn't even know he was in prison until maybe like my third year of college, I came home and his sister told me that he was in jail. And, um, you know, it, it just came down to the fact that he didn't know, he didn't know how to spend the time that he had that was, you know, free. And, um, you know, it's like you said, I mean, if you don't have great examples to kind of draw from it's in those especially in those areas it's it is um you know it's a tough it's tough to try to make it out it's you have to be an extraordinary um an extraordinarily strong individual to to kind of get past those kind of challenges i don't i don't really know like uh, for me living in the project of a black man for a father walking his lady with a mother father beating my mother all the time seeing so much violence if it wasn't for this poor offensive, I got, what got me, what saved me, is this poor offensive because I didn't have good images. No one told me. I didn't. I don't know what being successful was. I mean, what I see, what success is, was not in the positive things that I see now. Right. The success that I saw before was definitely is success in that commitment, but it's really not success at all. Right. So the offensive was a wonderful thing that allowed me to step out of that environment and see all these different things. Oh my God, I've never been around white people either. So I got a chance to see all these things or how people think, what their definition of success was, which was not mine. So I'm very thankful that the creator sent me this sport of fencing because it opened up my whole eyes, my whole spirit, my whole life. It showed me how to live a different way, how to have a new perspective on life. And I'm so thankful to the creator that that's why we started the PWF, Peter Westwick Foundation. I did that because 30, 30 years now, if it wasn't for this sport, I would for sure, I don't know, I'm not sure, oh my God, forget about it. <laughs> so this sport just saved my life. So I'm just so thankful, Darren Akbar. So to me, I never can give enough. Um, mm. I deal with the kids 30 years. I mean, by the way, we're sending four people to the Olympic Games. Wow. Right. Yeah. Historic, historic. Four yeah. black young men to the Olympic Games in one week. Every Olympic Games since I sat down. I sat down in 1996. Mm -hmm. After making six, ever since I sat down, we've been blessed 
with black men and women going to the Olympic Games from the foundation. So this is no different. We got four. The next Olympic Games, I'm sure we will be blessed with more. So the point I was making there at Akbar was this. No matter how much I give back, it's never enough. Right. No matter how much I give back, I still always thirst. No matter how much I give back, I always still hunger trying to do more because I've been so blessed and so fortunate. I, I just... I don't know what else to do, but whatever I can do to just try to give back and help another brother, help another sister, you know. But it didn't come overnight. This was a process for me. So here's a question I have for you. So, you know, we talk about images. You talk about seeing success and being able to see it. You know, the whole notion of you see it and you can believe it. And if you believe it, you can achieve it. So, so fencing. How did you get started in fencing? Like, like, what was the like? How did you even get introduced to fencing? I know. So my mother said, Peter, I want you to try the sport of fencing. But fencing. All we see in here is fighting. <laughs> worse than that, hitting people over the head with hatchets and all kind of bats and all kind of crazy stuff. Fencing. Nobody fences. People weren't even doing. People were not even doing organized sports. Right. Not even organized sports. You know, what one organized sports? Not track. Not swimming. Nothing. Okay, boxing. That was one organized sport. Was a block away. But other than that, no organized sports. So she asked me, try fencing. Try fencing. Oh my God! I'm already catching hell. I'm already catching hell with a Japanese mother and no father. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I want to do is try fencing so I can catch more hell. So uh, she said, Peter, come on. I said, nah. She said, my family in Japan used to get involved in samurai fencing. You understand? So she said, I didn't know then, but her theory was I would meet a different breed of people. I would meet a higher echelon. That was her thinking, but she didn't tell me that. So lo and behold, I mean, she doesn't know high echelon people got there. I want to say a curse word, but got there also. You understand? But it was, what she said, it was magical because I got a chance to meet doctors, lawyers, everybody, presidents. So I got a chance to see, okay, let me change my trajectory and I want to be somebody else. So it was her asking me to go try the sport at Essex Catholic High School. I told her no, but I said, I can't do it. She said, I'll give you $5. So the $5 she bribed me with, check it out, check it out. The five dollars she bribed me with to try to sport. I went to practice one day. Darren, Akbar, people were making a big deal out of me. Nobody ever made a big deal out of me except my mother. I never got positive anything except I used to have good fighting skills. So people do make a good deal about that, but that's negative things. So when I went there, people, oh my God, it made a big deal out of me. I felt so good. I never felt so wonderful doing something like this. I went home and told my mother, Darren, Akbar, they made fun of me. They treated me bad. I'm going to quit. But if you give me five more dollars, I'll suffer. That's what happened. I conned her a little more, maybe two or three times. She gave me five dollars, and I stuck with it. I was able from there, with the spirit of God in me and the talent that he's given me, to win national uh, uh, state championships, and then NYU gave me a full four-year fencing scholarship to NYU. And then the doors just opened. Not just fencing, but job opportunities. 
big corporation, this big corporate position. So everything just offensively changed my whole way of thinking, mm. my whole existence, Akbar. Mm. You know, when I was in uh, St. Benedict's, um, you know, before I got there, I was I was a pretty good athlete, but I wasn't playing any sports. But um, when I got to St. Benedict's, our headmaster, um, he made everybody. He 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 came to me personally and was like, "You're going to join a sport. You you're going to join a sport." And you know when you you don't understand. I think when you're that young, you don't understand about it because you think it's just it's just a game. But man, you know there's so many things that you learn from from being in a sport that that you don't understand until you actually participate. And whether you win or lose, there's always a lesson to be taken away. Always, always. I learned, first of all, in anything that you, any sport that you do, you learn how to win, but you definitely know how to lose. You definitely right. know how to lose because you lose more than you win anybody. Right. The great all-time home run is Hank Aaron, but before <laughs> Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth had more home runs, but people don't know he had the most strikeouts. So the point is, you lose more than you win. So sports help you to deal with life. You get victories, you get a job, you get a good opportunities, but most of the time you're not winning all the time. So mm. sports teaches you to get up, shake it off, try a little harder, try a little smarter, but always stay in the fight. That's mm. something that sports really, really helps you with fencing. I like fencing because it's more of a, I like one-on-one -on -one sports. So when I, team sports are wonderful, but I like the one-on-one -on -one sports because when you do well, you understand, you get all the glory. When you do bad, you feel the deprivation, you feel the pain of, pain of the sport. In life, I mean, you have a family as a team sport, you have a community as a team sport, but ultimately you're going through life by yourself. So you get a job, wonderful. When you get fired, that's all on you. So to me, individual sports almost mirror image life. That's why I love me personally. Not easy to deal with, but I love individual sports because you always learn to deal with the ups, but mostly the downs. Right. Yeah. It's all on you too, right? right. It's all it's right. all on you. So right. and that that to me is ultimately one of the most valuable lessons you can learn about life because right. I, I, you know, oh, real quick, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on like when, you know, because today it, it, it's a little bit different where when kids compete, everyone's getting a trophy. Everyone's getting like these participation trophies. And I don't know, I, I feel like it takes away a little bit of a lesson that can be learned in when everyone finishes on the same level. It just seems a little bit Disgen like disgenuine to the to that person's effort. I I I I beg I beg to differ a little bit. I like when everybody gets the award because the superstars still always stand out. So I don't mind when everybody get the award. So everybody get a chance to feel a little good. Everybody get a chance to feel good about themselves. 
I don't care if you give the trophies to a thousand people. Mm. There's only a few that will clearly stand. There's a clue. There's a few that will be the brightest, the bridge. You'll always get the Michael Jordans. You'll always get them. So for me, you know, it's good for everybody to get something because superstars are always going to shine. So we're not going to take the bright light with the superstars, but the little people that may normally not get anything, Mm -hmm. may normally not get anything, get a little something. So I kind of like that idea. That's cool because, I mean, that that way everybody kind of feels better about the experience too because the one thing you don't want to do is drive – drive someone away from the sport. You know right. what I mean? So, right. so, so fencing, what, what is it about fencing? I know you said the one-on-one competition, but the essence of the sport, can you, can you, and you've attracted thousands, I mean, thousands of black and brown kids to the sport, but what is it about the sport that, that you're passionate about that you think attracts particularly African-American, black and brown kids to the sport? Well, when we expose them to the sport, it's the sport that's not been familiar to the community. But one thing is a fallen sport. So black people, we like to fight. Whether you like to fight or not, you're going to fight. So you got no choice. You got to fight racism. You got to fight under school. No matter what, you have to fight. So for us, this is a natural sport. It's a one-on-one and you got to fight. Not only do you have to fight, you can fight without hurting somebody. And you can fight without getting hurt. When I used to fight, it was not good. You got to hurt, you got to get hurt. So for me, this is a natural sport for people one-on-one. Our people, we can fight without hurting one another, and we cannot get hurt and make no bones about it. It's a fighting sport. Hmm. So that's number one. Number two, again, you get a chance to really, really, really see you fight, you lose, you feel so bad, you feel so deprived, you feel so, my God, humiliated, but you learn how to brush it off, get up, fight a little more, fight a little smarter. Like in life, you know how many downs that we have? You get fired, you get divorced, you lose your job, you lose so many opportunities, so many friends, but we have to learn to brush it off, mm. moving, Get a little smarter and keep on fighting. And the sport teaches you, you got to keep fighting all the time. You get so good at fighting, Akbar. Akbar, you get so good at fighting, that is just a natural thing to do. So in life, you're so prepared for discrimination, for not getting the opportunity, for not getting in the university, for not getting the housing. You learn how not to fall apart. You can't fall apart. You get up and you keep fighting. What's the great thing about this fencing to prepare black people? Because we got it in us to fight. We have to fight. We ain't got no choice. Excuse my expression. Excuse my expression. You could be a punk in the community. You still got to fight. Yep. You can be a punk. Excuse my expression, a punk. But you still got hey, you still got to try. You still got to, you may get your own beat, but you still got to try sometimes. Sometimes you got to try. So we have a lot of fight in us. We have a lot of underserved, a lot of discrimination. All those ingredients help us in the fight. We just got to learn how to do it in a positive way so that we can excel and be the stars that we are. You know, I tell the kids that God made me a black man. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, whatever God made me, I would be happy. 
an Asian man, I mean, a, 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 a white man, whatever it is. But I tell the kids that they don't understand how beautiful and precious and how un, how wonderful it is to be a black man. And mm-hmm. I let them know we have something that nobody has. So I'm not knocking anybody. I'm a deacon in my church, so I love everybody. Well, not really, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but we have something that nobody has, and that is this. We get beat down. We get beat down, discriminated. But black lives, we know it matters, but they say it didn't matter. more jail time, more everything. But somehow, my God, we still have more love than anybody. Somehow, mm. we still have so much love. Oh, my God. Even the brothers on the corner, so much love that we have for one another. Mm. I, I don't think people have that love that we have. Love for our families, love for the people. We just got so much love. And I think that only comes when you've been oppressed, when you have, when you have nothing left but love when you have nothing else but love. So to me, that's a beautiful gift that we have, a beautiful joy that we have. We got other things to work on, but when I see black love, oh my God, the love that we have, I gotta tell you, Akbar, I gotta tell you, Jason, the love that we have at the Peter Westwood Foundation, mm. I let them know the black love that we have, it's just when they see that, they got it, and they know how to rise more than they ever did before. But they don't know the beauty of black love, the beauty of how beautiful black love that we have. And we be loving deep, boy. What? Now, we be doing all the crazy stuff, too. Don't get me wrong. But I'm <laughs> talking about the black love that I don't see other communities, other races have like us. I've never seen this. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things I will say, like, I did a podcast. So when our the first podcast we did on this episode on this show was with a, a woman named Frida Thomas, and she says something to me on the show which um, I don't think I had ever heard before, which was she was like before she she's like before I go, she's like how what can I do for you as a as a black man? She's like because as a black man you guys have to you you're always under fire you're always under pressure you're all like there's no there's no break for you you know from whether you're an individual or you're a father or you're a businessman or you're a sports athlete there's an always this constant barrage for you so she feels like more and more that people should you know at you know be willing to ask that question to each other, you know, how can I help you carry that burden for you? And I think like when you, what you just said to me is so true. Like, I think we see things through a different set of glasses, a a different lens. And when you, when you've had to carry such burden on you that you can kind of sympathize or empathize or realize the, the struggle that other people around us are going through. And I think if you don't, if you've never gone through it, it's very hard for you to identify with like, you know, your, your, the struggles that you've gone, your family went through and you went through it as both an athlete and an individual and as a man shape how you, how, how passionate you are about paying it forward to these young children, these kids and seeing 
seeing that they're just at the beginning of their journey. And this, this sport can help lighten the burden on them. And I think that's just an amazing a feat for you. Like I, I was watching your, um, the documentary that you, uh, a path to, um, a path to excellence. And it's so good because you see black men and women there amongst all these mixed children, just in it, like Paying, giving them knowledge and paying them advice and sharing their pain and sharing their input it is just an amazing space. I love it. I love it. I love it. I got to tell you, I've been in corporate America and I, I was good at it, but I never really loved it. Working for IBM, you know, selling software, hardware, New York Times, selling advertising, North America, years, selling marketing, airplanes, steamships, trucking services. But I got to tell you, all that prepared me in that corporate America mm. to work and push this PWF. All that work that I really didn't like, that I really sometimes hated, but it prepared me to do this. Sometimes I tell the kids, you got to do things that you don't like, even though it's, you don't like it. But if it prepares you with a platform to do something else, even though it's painful, even though it's uncomfortable, Sometimes we gotta endure. Sometimes we gotta move forward, even though it's painful and it hurts. But you gotta be able to see a little glimpse of where you can go with this. But what we can't do, I tell the kids, you just can't get stuck. Get stuck in the pain. Get stuck in the anxiety. Get stuck in oasis. Get stuck in not move. This is what we teach. One of our Olympians went to the Olympic Games before he he's leaving next week, but he got stuck. Mm. And he got stuck, meaning he was in a university and he just couldn't take it. His mother's a judge. He couldn't take it. He had to drop out of school. He couldn't take it after the second year. He couldn't get out of bed. Mm. So his mother um, didn't know what to do. You know, little therapy, little medication. Couldn't do this. So I just said, you got to get out of bed. Come back to the PWF. I can't get out of bed. You got to take a step on. I can't. We can't feed you. We can't feed you with a tube from where you are, bro. Right. Out of bed and come to the organization. When he came, we were able to feed him. All what it was, all it was, is this: when he went to that university, he didn't realize your mother's a judge. No matter how middle class you come from, they still look at you like you're the boogeyman. They still like at you like you're outside. They still you're still not in the inner circle. Invited all the parties. So after a while. He didn't realize, oh my God, something's wrong with me. No, it's not something wrong with me. It's something wrong with them. But he couldn't put that together. So when he came back, we showed him, you know, we're not, we're not, we don't resent other people. We're not putting malice toward them. However, their behavior, because they don't know, made you think that you have the bubonic plague, made you think that you're a disease. Now let me show you how bad and brilliant you are. Let me show you what you have that they don't have. Maybe I'm a petite. And we have other examples like that in our organization. So, you know, you know, that's why I, I wish somebody would have showed me that because I, I didn't I didn't learn the easy way. You know, I had to learn the hard way. <laughs> the hard the stupid way. But that's okay. As long as you learn a message, it's still good. I finally got it. It just took me, you know, they called me I'm a little coconut head, but I got it. I got it. <laughs> 
for those of you who are just joining us, you listen to 12 million. Um, today, we are honored with a special guest, Mr. Peter Westbrook, who's a six-time Olympian, bronze medalist, two gold medal from the Pan American Games, a teacher, motivator, cancer survivor, mm. um, uh, executive, I don't know if you consider yourself executive director, but you know, the head honcho at the Peter Westbrook Foundation. So it's been 30 years that you've been running the, the, your foundation. One, what's keeping you going? And then two, what would you consider your formula for success and developing not only elite talent, but elite talented young black and brown young people? Man, you asking me these deep questions. Now I got to think real quick. Run about my, my 90 miles an hour mind, how it works. You asking me these deep questions. So 30 years, 30 years I've been doing this. I can do this for another 15, 20 more years. Mm. And my, my, my age is not going, my body's not going to allow me to do that, but I could mm. because we teach, just to check it out. We teach the kids so much to learn the beauty of their blackness, the beauty of their power, the beauty of what they have. But let me just switch it. They also teach me a lot. Mm. They teach me a lot. This is not a one-way street. I learned how to have more patience. I learned how to be more kind. I learned how to be more flexible. I learned how to be more. So they teach me a lot too. So for me, I was looking at something that Steve, Steve Jobs, uh, I don't have it in front of me, Steve Jobs, a billionaire, he died at 57. <clears throat> 57, Steve Jobs. Yep. Billionaire. And his thing, I just talked out to my athletes just now, they were like, wow, all this money doesn't mean anything. All the money that I have is nothing. I'm dying, I got three months to live. I'm so lonely, I'm so broken. I'm so empty. Now I finally get the message. I wish I would have got the message earlier. This is mm. so I sent this to my athletes. I'm broken. I'm lonely. What I thought was success is not success. So getting back to your two questions, I like the idea to be able to share that with the children because it's hard to get that message. It's hard to, not, I'm talking about creating Olympians is great, but I don't mean just that. That's that's icing on the cake. This right. is somebody, yo, bro, it's not what society says. Look what Steve Jobs, it's not about money. It's not about titles. It's not about all the property that you own. It's about you loving yourself, loving your family, helping other people. It's about love. Steve, I gotta say, you're amazing. He said, I'm living the life the wrong way and I only got three months to live. So I wanna share this with everybody before I live. So I bought, I like getting that message out to people because that's a hard one to get. That's a hard one to get. And me not just giving it, I'm getting it back. So I'm elevating and I'm also being elevated spiritually and emotionally. Now, the second thing that you said, what keeps me going after 30 years? What keeps me going? I, I, I just, I realized what Steve Jobs was missing. I realized what he said, and I was seeing it a little earlier, that, hey, it's not money. I got money saved up. We get a lot of visibility with TV programs, documentaries, movies that's going to be made on us. But it's not that. It's the love. It's the love uplifting another brother. Sometimes I walk down the street and have a relationship with a homeless person, meaning talk to the sister uh, a couple of times, try to talk to her, try to uplift her, try to give her some money. One day she was telling me, I want to go to Ukraine. 
I give you money to go to Ukraine, I'm not a fool. I'm not going to give you money, but I'll buy the ticket <laughs> and talk to somebody in Ukraine and make sure that I'm not talking, you're not talking to an invisible man or something like that. So right. I always, always, always like to give. I like to change lives. And while I'm changing lives, Akbar, my life is always being changed. I mean, what, what, what other, what you said, what, what keeps me going? What other job could you have? If you're living not just for money, you're living not just for time. We get the money, we get the titles, we get the fame. In addition to that, but that's not it. I'm telling you what Steve Jobs said. So when you have something like that, you could just go on forever until it's your time to, to, to drop dead or whether it's time for you to go back home to the master. You know, I mean, that's the way to live. So that's what keeps me going. That's the fuel that I have. There's no other way to live for me. Now, don't get me wrong, yo, Akbar, I had to do some therapy for a while because what I thought was natural was not natural. Right. When I see somebody breaking in my window, rather than me praying for them, I, I probably didn't pray for them. You understand? <laughs> but you lay hands. That's a different type of prayer. That's a different type of prayer. Laid hands and then something. Right. So, so I realize now, you know, just just the way to live life, the way to serve, and and this is not a one way street. No matter what, whatever you do comes back to you times two. And you know, I learned not to do it for ego, not to do it for this podcast, not to do it for fame. Not to do it for recognition. You know, I learned over time, put away my pride, ego, envy, jealousy that we all have. So I work on that every day to make sure I can be a better product to uplift and then be uplifted. So that's what keeps me going, Akbar. You know, I mean, I can't think of anything better unless it's in the same category. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Akbar, I think you muted. I think you muted. Oh, no, I think, yeah. yeah. Okay. I saw your mouth moving. You're looking like a ventriloquist. <laughs> Just listening. One of these movies where your mouth is moving, but the words are coming out later. <laughs> um, so a question for you. Um, what was the uh, inspiration behind your memoir, Harnessing Anger, the Inner Discipline of Athletic Excellence? Harnessing Anger. My message in that was... We all, Peter, myself included, but all black people got anger and rage. You cannot have mm. rage if you're so oppressed, being discriminated, not having housing opportunities, job opportunities, educational opportunities, life opportunities. So for most of us, we have a lot of anger and rage. But I learned, and I learned to share in the book, we got to use the anger and rage not to implode meaning explode on the inside, which, which a lot of us do. I mean, mm. we just don't know. I mean, it's a hard lesson to learn. So yeah. learn to use this anger and rage to help you use it as a platform or a springboard is a springboard. So you want to make sure you get on top of the springboard with the anger rage to elevate you as opposed to being under the springboard where it's knocking you down, you know? Mm. So got to use that anger and rage. You know, when I see prophets like Malcolm X using that anger and rage to elevate himself, when I see prophets like Mandela using that anger and rage of protesting in South Africa to uplift his people, when I see Martin Luther King, even him, using that anger and rage for peace. And let me tell you something, that is not easy. So when I wrote the book, I was thinking about how can I communicate? We all have anger and rage, not a good thing, natural, you should, but now how can we use that to elevate us, you know, rather than under the springboard with knocking us down? Mm. 
So what are your what are your thoughts on you know? So a lot of athletes now are are coming out using their platform to talk about kind of mental health, um, you know, social justice. Um, but more so, what are your thoughts about how athletes? So any advice you would give to athletes on how to manage, particularly the mental health? And I, I, one of my favorite athletes in this area is Michael Phelps, the great Olympian. I don't know how many Olympic medals, how many Olympic games he's been to, five or four. And all the, the most recognized Olympian medals, platform, advertising, everything, all the gold medals. And then he came out, I'm depressed, I'm unhappy, I have mental issues, and I love this platform. Now, he's always talking about mental his illness, his emotional illness, and how he got therapy to help him see things in a different way, how he received therapy to open up his eyes, and now he's a new person. So I like when you have somebody on that level talking about mental illness, meaning if it happened to me, look at me, look at my success, it can surely happen to you. So I love the platform that Michael felt. I love that platform before. Yeah. We didn't do it before because it was a stigma attached to it. We couldn't do it before because people would look at you like, not only with a stigma, but they would look at you like, oh my God, you're black. Now you got mental illness and disease. Mm. It's a big stigma. Oh my God. So mm. today I love it because it was always there, but people are courageous to speak about it. It was always there. People can share their illnesses to help uplift other brothers and sisters. And before, you couldn't uplift brothers and sisters. You couldn't even uplift yourself. Because if you had an illness or emotion, you, you, you had to keep it quiet. You didn't really didn't even want to go to therapy to let the, let the therapist know. So mm -hmm. I love it today where it's on a positive platform. You're not looked upon like you're you're like you're you're deranged or crazy. And now it's becoming not normal, but a lot more normalcy than before. And everybody can grow in this society, you know. My mother had mental illness. Oh my God. Like when she saw her mother get blown up in Japan, when they when the, when the Americans blew up Japan, she saw her mother get blown up in the in the street, in the street, and then the truck would come every morning. They would take the dead bodies and heave it on the truck. Oh, she had a mental illness. She just told me she just started screaming and ran up the Mount Fuji, just screaming and running. And in those days, they didn't have therapy in the United States, definitely not Japan. So nothing to talk about. She could, there's no therapy how to get better. So every seven years, she would have a mental illness breakdown. You know, you know, but what mm. society society wasn't. You know, in those days, mental illness. I mean, there's no therapy. Mental illness. You know what they did to her? They gave her shock treatment. That's what they did. That didn't work. You know, put two mm. prongs and electrocute you to 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 electrocute the mental illness out. But we know that don't work. Right. We try that in this country. All the, that does not work. Right. So we've actually evolved and grown a lot with the mental illness. Yeah. You know, and I know we all got some illness. I don't know what I got. I know I must have something, but <laughs> I don't know what I got, but I must have something. So everybody got something. Everybody has something, some kind of illness to work on. So I'm going to just always work on my illness. I'm going to work on whatever I have. Why? So that I can be a better person to uplift people and be uplifted. Mm -hmm. so, you, 
you remember earlier, real quick, right? You talk about the Olympics and uh, I don't know if that's mine or is that, but um, I can't hear you, Akbar. You see that yet? So you mentioned Olympians. They, they, you, you have a, a group of Olympians, I believe four, going to Tokyo this year. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so, so what? So, you know, we talked about that formula for success, but you know, you, you're developing them. Um, you know, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, about you know, those Olympians who, who are going that we can watch out for in this Olympics. Khalil Thompson, Daryl Homer, Yeza Ramirez, and Curtis McDowell. These are my four Olympians that are going to the Olympic Games, and you know, I I, I counsel them. I'm just I'm like their spiritual leader, their spiritual advisor. So I let them know it's so stressful. I understand the stress that you're going through is invaluable, but we just keep moving forward in a positive way. We keep moving forward and think about positive things rather than the negative things that gets in your way every day in life, the negative things. I can't pay my rent. If I lose my job, what if my kids, my wife leave me, whatever the negative things, you always got to think the positive things because when you think the positive things, even when things don't work out, there's still a positive outcome. Let me say that again, that if you have go in a positive way, positive thinking, positive energy, even when you don't achieve your goal, positive things still come out of it. You understand? So that's what I tell the kids and they're, they're getting it slowly, but sure. Yeah. It's tough. I, I I can imagine it's, you know, the 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 pressure of the Olympics, but and but like like you said, just keeping that that positive mindset. It you know it it it's a huge difference. It's 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 it feels different when you're competing, and it feels different afterwards. It just you know, and I, I'm a big believer that it, there's like a energy of sorts that we radiate that attracts you know like you are whatever you want to happen to you you know what i mean and um i i personally wish them all the best well, say that again. you said you are what did you say Naren? you are what you want to happen. what did you say radiate say that again i don't understand it can you say that again you are what what you radiate, what you what you give off. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you give off positive energy, and positive things will come to you most okay. times. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll go along with that. Yes. Yeah. So we're gonna be we got any more questions before we go soon? So yeah. So one 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 that we do we ask all our guests. So as I mentioned, um, twelve million was inspired by the book Twelve Million Black Voices from Richard Wright. One of the questions we ask all our guests is there a book that inspired you or you recommend to our listeners? I I I guess there's a brother that has a lot of wonderful things in all this book. His name is Cohen. Cohen. I got his first, I forgot his first name, but he has a lot of philosophical ideas how to deal with stay there for one second. Don't don't go. I'm gonna give it a <laughs> <laughs> this brother right here, he came to my church to speak, and one, his name is James Cohen, Black Theology and Black Power. Another book, Black Theology and Black Power. His oh, name wow. is another brother here, James Cohen, the same man, God of the Oppressed. 
So I like reading when I get a chance to read about him. God be impressed by James Cohen. He's a great theologian, a great philosopher, makes you think about something like, wow. But in addition to just reading the books, I just like to sometimes, you know, study people, things that they see. I got a great uh, uh, pastor, Dr. Calvin O. the Third, things that he has to say. The black, con- the black senator, Reverend Warnock of Georgia, my assistant pastor. My assistant pastor, so he went down to Ebenezer, took over the Martin Luther King Church. Just sometimes even going to him and listen to what he said. These guys are great prophets. They have gems that they can put on you. You know, you don't have to spend a lot of time. But occasionally you can go to our church, Dr. Butts, Reverend Warnock, the senator. Sometimes they can put some things in you that you can't believe, like a little bit of seed, a little fertilization. It's only a little seed. It grows later on into a big, as they say, a mustard. Just a little something that, man, you know. So I would, I would recommend that. Mm-hmm. Well, brothers, I love the time that we have. I think, you know, I want to say thank you, uh, brother Akbar. I want to thank you, brother Devin. It's just like a. I said, I said, I said, Devin, right? Darren. 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 I want to thank you, my brothers. It was a wonderful opportunity. I want to thank your audience. I can't really see you. But I feel your spirit. I can't see it. But I know if you're with 12 million podcasts, I know this is going, you got a great audience. So I hope I was able to to touch people's lives just as my people always touch my life. You're amazing. And um, we really appreciate you taking the time and and talking to us and sharing your story. And uh, oh, and by the way, my brother just messaged me and told me to tell you hello. Uh, oh. Keith Royster from SS Catholic. Oh, okay. <laughs> Essex. Okay, brother. Okay, brother. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And, you know, for everybody who is, you know, going to see this, um, they can follow what the foundation is doing at on, on Instagram at Peter Westbrook Foundation or what I recommend is go up to the website because there's a lot of good stuff up there on the website. A lot of good stuff, actually. Um, PeterWestbrook.org. Um, Peter, thank you for putting us in the good category. Yes, and thank you for blessing us today. My brother, thank you. God bless you, brothers. This is a pleasure and an honor for me. Thank you so much. And if you ever need, let us know we're there. Okay. God bless you, my brothers. Thank you. That wraps it up for us in another episode of 12 Million. I am Darren Jenkins. I am my former G. And this was 12 Million. We'll talk to you at the next episode. Thanks, everyone.